don't cut off your family and friends who are MAGA, you know, totally supportive of Trump or 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 any any call, uh, destructive group because then they feel like you, you're disfellowshipping them <laughs> deeper into the cult. The best thing is to keep a warm relationship. Say, I am. You're intelligent. You're educated. I know you. We have history together. I don't understand how you believe what you believe, but I'm prepared to change my mind. If this were a visual recording um, that you were listening to, then I'd probably put on the screen right now screenshots of all the different people who said, interview Stephen Hassan, Steve Hassan, Stephen Hassan, Stephen Hassan, get Stephen Hassan on. So here he is. You asked, I brought him to you. Of course, not everyone will be familiar with all the same stuff. We're all different people with different passions and things but Stephen Hassan is is known as he's sort of like the, the the godfather of cult analysis he coined or invented this bite b-i-t-e model to recognize cults and it's really interesting to listen to him speak because he also was a Mooney with the Unification Church. He got into that. So he'll be telling me how that happened as an adult, how he fell into that, and how that's given him insight into the world of cults and what they are and stuff like that. And I do think that's an interesting thing. So here's what I think with regards to that. Because I speak to a lot of people who have fallen into cults themselves. I'm not talking about those who are born into them, but have fallen into them. And I do sometimes think, on the one hand, they've got a really unique insight because they know the inner workings of it. And that's why I bring these people to you. But then sometimes I also think, well, you know, the rest of us didn't fall into cults. So maybe we could... Well, I don't know. I won't even follow where that thought's going. I'm just being a bit skeptical about the whole thing, but also intrigued and fascinated. Um, and I hope you guys are fascinated by today's episode because Stephen Hassan is a really bright guy. He's an academic. He's written countless academic articles about the idea of cults and the notion of them and what they are. So I'm really honored to be able to bring his work to you now. So some big episodes coming up in the next few weeks. I've got Professor Paul Bloom coming back on. I've got Collier Landry coming on uh, to talk about how he watched his father kill his mother. So I've actually already interviewed him for that. That's pretty haunting. Um, so stick around for those episodes. Make sure to follow Stephen Hassan. Get his books, Freedom of Mind, Combating Cult Mind Control is another one. Uh, the Cult of Trump is another. Follow him on Twitter and all those things. Show him some love. But now you're on the edge of Cult Mind Control with Stephen Hassan. Perhaps the father of modern methods to recognize and scrutinize cults, you're working to change laws around them and coercive control. And we are going to talk about that, this being a podcast that refers all the time to your famous bite model. But I want to start in a place where I believe most cults don't, which is by focusing on your individuality and your individual story, Dr. Hassan. Like me, you grew up Jewish, but you were recruited by the Unification Church, the Moonies. So tell me about that journey. Sure. Very briefly, I was dumped by my girlfriend in 1973, uh, and it was February of 74. I was an upper junior at Queens College um, and was a, you know, a little lonely, and three women flirted with me in the cafeteria and pretending to be students and carrying books, and they lied and said they were. And they asked if they could join me at my table, and it was three on one, but I was happy because I thought I'd get lucky with one of the three, maybe, uh, being a 19-year-old. Um, and uh, I had no idea that they were going to try to recruit me into a destructive fascist right-wing cult, but that's exactly what happened. And it involved a lot of deception, but also a lot of incremental manipulations as they were gathering information about my background and my interests. And I really was not a joiner. I was like a book person. I wrote poetry and read books. and But I did worry about the state of the world and wanted to make the world a better place. 
Um, and so when they said we're a group of students trying to make the world a better place, uh, do you care about the state of the world, Steve? Yes. Do you worry about all the children who are starving around the world, Steve? Yes. So it was incremental. And there's a long story. I've written about it in my first book, Combating Cult Mind Control and Endless uh, Things uh, that I've spoken about on the Freedom of Mind website. But essentially, uh, it was a series of things that happened where I was led to believe that I should go to weekend get together, which turned out to be a workshop, which turned out to be a mind control workshop. And they pressured me to stay for a seven-day workshop, but I, I rebelled because I was a college student. I wanted to go back to school and class, and but they had already implanted in my mind the question, what if God is trying to work on the planet right now and you have been selected, will you, you know, regret not being curious enough to find out if it's true? So it wasn't a join, give up everything at first. It was eliciting my curiosity. Is that, do, they, do they often use, I just want to ask about the, do they often use sort of women to bring men in? Definitely. Or men to recruit women in. And if you're gay, uh, same sex people, if it's not a homophobic cult, my former cult was homophobic. So they, anyone who's gay is no good. So we wouldn't deliberately not try to recruit anyone who is gay. Okay. Okay. But uh, essentially I was, I was at the wrong place at the wrong time and the Moonies were ramping up in the U S and they were retraining all the leaders. They were looking for new blood and uh, I'm six feet tall and I'm pretty, pretty uh, educated and idealistic. So I was picked up by one of the top leaders to be one of his disciples. So I had, was one step away from Moon. So I got to go to all these leadership meetings and such. And I can honestly say, even though I was educated about the Holocaust, went to Israel, went to Yad Vashem and everything else, within two years, I was believing that America was, uh, democracy was satanic and we, we would basically take people's physical bodies away from them if they didn't want to agree with the Moonies rules around sexuality and the arranged marriages. And I was like, yes. And it was totally uh, opposite all of my values, all of my beliefs. And I was trained to, to not allow doubts. Uh, and I was again, Jewish. So I wasn't believing in Satan or evil spirits, but the Moonies brought me to see the Exorcist movie with a whole group of us. And then Sun Myung Moon gave a speech personally that God made this movie and this movie was a prophecy of what would happen if you left the church. So at that point, the training I had about thought stopping to chant to get rid of doubts, I started doing it on myself, believing that I was keeping pure but uh, what I basically was happening was I was brainwashing, being brainwashed and, and doing it to myself to stay a good soldier for God. Wow. Hey, do you know that I, I did an exorcism? I performed an exorcism? No. Tell me about it. I went to Argentina I was, and I was, I was trying to expose an exorcist. So I embedded myself with him for a couple of months. And so I did the exorcisms with him. Uh, on people, obviously. I mean, they, they, well, they did work. I was going to say, obviously, they didn't work. They did work, and I think because of placebo and suggestion yeah. and things like that, but it was a, a, a remarkable Well, thing. you so say just, it worked. I would like to know more, and I would question whether there was an actual entity in someone or whether or not they were ill and they needed a ritual by an authority figure that would, you know, in a sense, release them from that. And, you know, Andrew, when I got out of the Moonies in 76, after a near fatal van crash due to sleep exhaustion, I was sleeping three to four hours a night. When I got out of the Moonies, I just wanted to understand how did this happen to me? I started reading everything I could on brainwashing and mind control and talked with Lifton and Singer and Jolly West. And there was something missing in my, in the paradigm, didn't make you know i didn't i needed something else to help explain it and, and then when i learned about hypnosis i was like that's it that's the missing sauce 
but they didn't say we're going to teach you how to do hypnosis, Steve. They demonstrated it, and they told me to to mirror the leaders who were effective speakers, and I became a recruiter and a lecturer for them. And I'm I'm mentioning hypnosis to you because the power of suggestion is very part of the whole hypnosis body of literature that um, if you have an authority figure you believe in and you give uh, powerful suggestions that something's going to happen, the mind has an expectation set that is now primed for resolving whatever. And hypnosis can be used really wonderfully to help people and it can be used to harm people. Right now it's rampant on the internet, in my opinion, in bad ways. But uh, I'll just say from a personal experience, not only was I trained and I don't use hypnosis, by the way, with clients coming out of cults explicitly because I want them to trust me, uh, but I will explain hypnosis and I'll use uh, videos of a UK uh, entertainer, Darren Brown, often and and hit the pause button and explain the different techniques that he's using. Oh, here's a confusion technique. Here's an anchoring technique. Here's a pattern interruption. Here's an embedded command, etc., to help my clients understand how manipulation can happen where he can ask someone for directions and be walking away with their wallet and cell phones, you know, and house keys within a minute. <laughs> and it's, it's inc- I, I was up on stage with Darren because he did a thing on me where he got all my secrets out. But I think sometimes the other part is sometimes they are just sort of stagehand things. Yeah. Sometimes just tricks and look over there and he pretends it's a psychological thing, but it's actually uh, just a basic trick and you're expecting the psychological thing. I don't, I don't know much about him. I read his book. I actually went to his Broadway show and it was in the United States and, you know, I'd love to sit down with him, honestly, because, uh, he does all the impermissible social psychology experiments, but then people like me, who is a licensed mental health counselor who can't do any of those things, I get to use him as a case example to explain to to my population, he's he he can transgress ethical rules in the name of entertainment. Oh I yeah, suppose. he 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 did the whole uh, mentoring candidate thing where the guy was yeah. programmed to shoot, uh, you know, in a exploding die pack uh, and all of that. He you know push someone off of a, a building or steal things. So like I said, this Im- impermissible social psychology experiments. And uh, I've spent decades now learning social psychology and um, depending on your selection of who you're going to do it on and depending on the context and depending on the other actors or actresses that you can employ, uh, incredible things can happen. But, but is that just to a small percentage of society? Because Darren did this thing at the beginning, obviously to find the most vulnerable people. I'm sure he did it when you were there as well um, at the, th- the theatre, uh, where he gets you to put your hands together and try to sort of hypnotize people to keep them together. And I really wanted mine to stay together because I wanted to feel what it was to be hypnotized. So, and I couldn't, my hands just fell apart. And I went, ah, oh. and then he chose the people who's, who couldn't remove their hands. So were you someone who's ha- who couldn't remove their hands then? Are, are you part of a percentage of people who can be hypnotized? Well, I think everyone naturalistically goes in and out of trance all day long. And so the issue isn't, uh, are you a person who can be hypnotized the way I think about it? Because uh, I think pretty much everyone can, unless you're you're schizophrenic or uh, uh, you don't like or trust anybody and you don't care about anything, then you're going to be more resistant. But um, I, I, I de- so for example, anyone who's a, a, a musician, a sports figure, an artist goes into trance states in order to do their their craft and they can't not be in a trance state to be excellent. Um, so for example, I'm, I'm a basketball person. If you watch people who are great free throw shooters, 
they negatively hallucinate the noise and all of the people in the st in the crowds that are trying to distract they don't see anything except the very large rim and visualizing the ball going through and they have a disciplined ability to get into that state and those are the top free throw shooters uh, but that's just one positive example of a self-hypnotic trance state yeah there's a there's david beckham he, he had his most famous ever goal i think was in the last minute of a game that england had to score in to qualify for the world cup i think it was uh and there he i think i heard him speak about it years ago so i can't i might be getting it wrong but there's a drummer in the stadium and he just sort of got a bit into a trance and was hypnotized by just the drum and that's all he heard before taking that shot was just this doom 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 that thing and it sort of got him in that trance is that what he said because for me people who are professional sports people they want to have that internal they don't want to be dependent on something external so the many like olympic olympic athletes they will listen to a song that's going to elicit their maximum performance and they rehearse over and over again that perfect routine billions of times so that yes of course i'm going to do the perfect routine and but the critical thing is shutting down the anxiety shutting down the negative uh, uh external environment so that you're focused and that's the thing i want to say about hypnosis andrew is it's a state of heightened concentration and focus it's not sleep it's heightened concentration or focus but in that state, you're more suggestible. So if you're with somebody who has an agenda and they want you to believe something or do something and you're in that state, your critical thinking processes are off and you're in the flow of what it is that you're being asked to do. It's still, I suppose, uh, some distance, you know, the, the basketball example, the soccer football example, it's some distance away from like, you know, behaving like a chicken on a stage. I suppose there's sort of the pressure, the crowd of oh, that kind of thing to make you be a chicken there. Do you know what's going on in someone's head? This is not like going in a cult either. There's a different thing. When someone's on stage acting like a chicken, what's going on in their mind? Yeah, so back to your your example. So typically stage hypnotists, which in my point of view and my colleagues is like the least sophisticated level of understanding hypnosis. They want to select out of the audience the most responsive and obedient people to work on. So the typical thing is you put your hands together, you clasp, push, imagine super glue is, is now being set. And when I count to three, you're going to try to open your hands, but you won't be able to. And if there's a hundred people, half of them will go like this immediately. Some will go like this. For listeners, he's doing var variations of, of hands being stuck together and, and pushed apart. <laughs> of, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm using my hands. So, but the, the, the stage hypnotist wants the people who can't you know, separate their hands until he gives them permission. That's who he wants up on stage. And honestly, I uh, interviewed people who've done that. Many of them don't remember. Some of them need to see videos of it, but they actually are responding to the hypnotist suggestion that they're a chicken or they're Elvis Presley or they have to pee, but their legs are glued to the stage at their expense where everyone can laugh at them or where they're given a post-hypnotic suggestion with a certain word, they go back in the in their seats and the hypnotist says the word and they jump up and do whatever they were told is going to happen uh, to show the rest of the audience it, it is real. So is it possible some stage hypnotists have plants? Yes, but in my experience, a lot of that is is for real. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. 
To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, it's quite an extraordinary thing. Uh, do you think? Do you think you could? I mean, we're not going to do it now. But if we did it over the audio now, some of the people listening, we shouldn't do it because some will be in their cars driving, driving. You know, with the steering wheel wouldn't be. A it's good unethical. Idea. It's really yeah. unethical for me to demo uh, that. But I do want to come back to positive uses of hypnosis. And uh, in 2006, I had uh, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I saw a clinical hypnotherapist throughout my treatment. And when I needed a biopsy of my lymph node that was in my armpit, uh, the hypnotist, um, who was a mental health professional, uh, basically said, and the surgery is going to go very fast, minimal blood loss, and the doctors will be amazed at how fast you're going to recover. And Two weeks after the surgery, I was told to go to the, the physical therapist. And I went to the physical therapist. She said, raise your arm. And I raised it straight up. And she said, no, 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 the other arm. And I raised the other arm straight up. She said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Which which side did you have the surgery on? And I was like, this one. And that arm went straight yeah. up. She said, can you move it to the front? Can you move it to the back? Can you move it to the side? She said, you don't need physical therapy. Huh. And she so, was amazed. So, and my doctor was amazed. I wasn't amazed because why do I want to have physical therapy if I don't need it? <laughs> so so we're not talking about magic, right? We're talking about the something. Power of the mind. Life. The power yeah. of the mind, Andrew. It's a very amazing, wonderful thing. And in fact, I did an interview with a pediatrician who wrote a hypnosis for children textbook and uh, his latest book it really talks about a paradigm shift where we think about people as embodied minds so that there's not the split between mind and body but in fact our bodies are expressions of our minds and that through use of our mind we can have powerful effect on our bodies and often our bodies are getting sick because we're not paying attention to the kinds of things we need to do for a healthy body. For example, we're not sleeping seven to nine hours. We need that to, for our immune system. Uh, eating you know, refined foods and sugars, terrible for our bodies. So there's like a list of things. And then often our body is going 
time out, <laughs> you're sick, <laughs> you need to do something. And in my case with cancer, I truly believe I was working too hard, I wasn't sleeping enough, I wasn't taking days off, um, and I listened to my body and I started taking Wednesdays off midweek, and if I worked on a weekend, I gave myself extra days off. And I just spent a lot more time thinking about doing things to help my body stay healthy. But so, so just to get onto that hypnosis, the hypnosis and the power of the mind, there are there are some people who would. I mean, I, I guess scientists and academics disagree all the time, right? That's sort of the point of it. Um, and I think of, I think <laughs> not of like, supposed um, to, but it's <laughs> uh, it is a community, and that's what I love about the scientific uh, method is that you can have a hypothesis, not the truth, but a an idea of something, then you test. And then you have a community that helps you test, even if you're convinced your test worked. So for example, in my doctoral dissertation on my uh, influence continuum and bite model, uh, I, I did the first quantitative study on any model about brainwashing and mind control. But now I have many researchers trying to falsify it to show that, nope, you, he's got it wrong. And so, or, or to demonstrate content validity, um, which says, yep, I got it right. Or at least, you know, the core, uh, a thesis, uh, of yeah, my so work. Well, this is what I was going to say, because I remember I read Amanda Montel's book, Cultish, which which I found very interesting as well. Uh, and she, I think it was her, I, I might be, again, misquoting, it was a while ago, but that she said brainwashing doesn't exist. So there are people out there who say brainwashing isn't real. Um, do you know what I mean? Do you, do you have to engage with that? And I have know? very bad feelings about Amanda Montel as a uh, researcher because she interviewed me for that book. And I talk about the influence continuum from ethical to unethical and behavior control, information, thought, and emotional control is how you can tell if there's authoritarian mind control. And she quoted me three times in the book for my influence continuum, left out the bite model, and then quoted cult propagandists like Eileen Barker and others who were basically, uh, in my opinion, unethical uh, uh, scholars of religion uh, and repeated Scientology lies that the Cult Awareness Network, for example, was doing kidnapped deprogrammings, which it was not. Um, and when I when I read the book, and I loved her chapter on speaking in tongues or glossolalia, I liked her chapter on multi-level marketing book. But I said, how could you possibly say there's no such thing of, there's no way to know if a group is, is brainwashing or mind controlling? And her reaction was defensive. And she said, well, I'm getting out of this. I'm working on my next book. And I'm like, well, but you need to correct yourself publicly. And she was not open to correcting herself publicly. I had a whole debate with a bunch of my friends uh, who, who loved the book and loved her. And I'm like, I gave her the interview. I, she had a recording of me saying, here's how you tell if it's brainwashing and mind control. Here's Lifton and Singer and Shine's models about brainwashing and thought reform and mind control. And they thought that I was react, overreacting because she didn't talk about the bite model in it. And that wasn't what made me so upset. But it was she was putting out cult disinformation that brainwashing doesn't exist because we know it does. I suppose it might be the difference between an academic and a journalist because I, I think I'm right in saying she's more of a journalist. I can't remember her background. Correct. And I guess so for her, she is onto she's the She's a linguist. Subject. She's That's a linguist, right. but she, right. she's not a social psychologist or a cognitive uh, psychologist. I do also want to qualify. I'm using the word brainwashing. That is not a good descriptive word. The best words to use is undue influence versus due influence, which is ethical, because it's a legal construct uh, to say undue influence. And I'm kind of putting the terminology of thought reform and brainwashing and mind control under undue influence. Cause that is the best description description. So, so if influence is on a spectrum, when does it become 
undue. I mean, because advertising is an influence. We're all influenced, you know, all the time, everything we do. At what point do we get to undue? So for me, there's a continuum and it goes, it's not a binary. And so there are variations of everything. But for me, if, if someone is honestly representing your car has 50,000 miles on it and it had two accidents and, and please take it to a mechanic before you buy it, that's do influence or ethical influence. If you say, if you change the odometer that it's 10,000 miles and you lie about the fact that the cars had accidents, that's undue influence because they're lying to you. But in terms of the whole continuum, in the extreme, I, I describe it as a dissociative disorder where, like myself, I went from Steve Hassan, son of Milton and Estelle Hassan, conservative Jew, to Steve Hassan, son of Sun Myung Moon and Hak Jahan, the true parents of the universe. You know, the old Steve had a ponytail and wore jeans, and the cult Steve had short hair, wore a three-piece suit, and didn't sleep, and didn't didn't couldn't kiss a girl, couldn't play basketball, was asked to throw out my poetry, and was literally under the control of this cult. And for me, that's the extreme ends uh, where people are being asked to um, give up their lives, give up their money. And so if you go through the, the bite model of authoritarian control, you can go through and tick off what fits. Um, and, 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 and some things may fit for any group, but the issue is, do you have conscience? Do you have a uh, free will to say no? Can you ask critical questions? Can you read whatever you want to read, talk to whoever you want to? And most importantly, can you leave if you're not happy or you find something that's better without fear or harassment? Because the bad groups will literally put phobias in your mind to the extent that you can't even imagine leaving the group and being happy and fulfilled. Like in my Mooney identity, all I could imagine was satanic possession a la exorcist movie. And I didn't want that. No. Um, right? Horrible. Yeah. A lot of, I ask this a, a lot of, of, of friends of mine who have been in cults and things, because obviously my network now and yours, I presume as well, is full of people who have been in cults. But relative to the population, it's an extremely rare thing, particularly one as damaging and, and pervasive as the Moonies or Scientology or whatever it might be. So your experience is very rare. So is this something that is in you and some of my friends, you know, is something that you are inherent to you guys? Uh, or is it that you were in the wrong place at the wrong time and this can happen to anyone? Well, we're talking in 2023 and I would dispute your claim in that it's rare uh, because if you are looking at planet Earth uh, and looking at billions of people who are in authoritarian regimes that are mind controlling their citizens like China, like Russia, um, I would argue they are under mind control. Uh, and I, if you look at Americans right now, there's still some 40 million Americans who believe Donald Trump won the 2020 election. I think he was chosen by God and think Putin's a great guy. <laughs> and that ain't, that is not normal. And 40 million is not a small percentage. I mean, we have 300 million plus uh, citizens in America, but I see it as an epidemic, a public health emergency. And I think that we can turn it around by mass uh, education efforts. And when I say education, I don't mean indoctrinating people a la mind control or, or authoritarian cults. I mean, teaching people how to, how to question and how to think and how to reality test and uh, my last TEDx, I've done four now, I actually did one on how can I know if I've been brainwashed? And I outline a four-step process anyone can 
do for themselves to reality test rather than try to uh, to persuade someone that they're in a cult or they've been their mind's been hacked. I think the 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 more effective way is to say. Hey, when I was in the Moonies, I didn't think I was in a cult and I knew I wasn't brainwashed. And yet when I got out, I was like, of course I was like who I was before I met the group and who I what I was thinking uh, at the end was radically different. And so the, 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 if, if you want, I can go through the four. People can just come to yeah, freedomofmind.com. Well, I'll ask you about that in a second. I just want to say that I, I, I think that's a very good point you make and uh, about how everyone can fall into these kinds of things and we, we never know when we're in them. Uh, there's always that point about you know 1930s Germany or um, owning slaves and things like that. And we all like to think that wouldn't have Colonialism. been Colonialism. Right, yeah, we think that wouldn't have been us. But then is that... a cult is that brainwashing or is that just the ethics of the time which have changed dramatically and then it comes to we're going to get into real really philosophical terms here of like is is morality uh, objective or is it just you know because right now people eating animals for example maybe that's fine maybe it's not in a hundred years will they say that we were brainwashed because we were eating animals Yes. So the important thing I want to say is reality is complex and anyone who reduces it to simple binaries or simplistic kinds of frames is automatically suspect for me. And I do think that we need to keep in mind psychohistory and the fact that what was being done a hundred years ago uh, that we now realize is not good now. We shouldn't, we, I mean, people were believing and doing what they thought was right at the time, but now we know more. And so for me, when I'm counseling or when I'm giving lectures at universities or whatever, I'm saying we should be grounded in the now, oriented to the future. And my, if I have a doctrine, Andrew, it's the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is in many ways what the BITE model is, is utilizing a lot of those points that we should have the freedom to assemble. We should have the freedom of education and access to medical care and all these basic fundamental things. But, um, I wouldn't. I would recommend that your listeners not get caught up in the word cult, because the way I think about cults is it's there are cults along the entire continuum. In other words, you can be in a cult of scuba diving. This is one example I use regularly because I'm an avid scuba diver. Uh, but it's by choice. Nobody's coercing me. Yes, it can be expensive. Yes, it can be dangerous if I'm not following all the rules and, and having my regulators cleaned regularly and checked, etc. But I'm passionate about it because I love it so much. But I have the ability to say no and not feel guilty. And nobody's going to accuse me if I say I don't want to dive anymore because it's depressing to go underwater and see dead coral and no fish. Yeah. So scuba diving might be like a one out of 10 or a two out of 10. Is that how you'd see it? And then like, I see it as ethical. I see it as a cult on the, on the, on the ethical side of things. Some people are very into, um, um, a political, uh, philosophy, but it doesn't take away their ability to reality test. It doesn't take the internal locus of control of an adult and put it to an external authority figure. Um, you can use your conscience. Um, so I would, I, I, I like the descriptor authoritarian cult versus just the word cult. I'm against authoritarian cults and not cults. Mm. One thing I would, I, I would, uh, debate a little bit is when you said we know more now than we did 100 years ago and i think we do in most in most aspects uh particularly science and things like that but ethically is that not the same kind of uh certainty that leads us to problems thinking that we know ethically more than we did did not the bolsheviks think that they were ethically better than the Tsar? and maybe they sure. were but but they still led to problems because of the certainty 
No, I, I'm, I, I have an allergy to people who are certain. So I don't want to be a hypocrite and out, act like I know everything. I don't. I'm open to changing my mind if somebody is, has persuasive evidence that a belief that I have or a model that I'm using is not as good as another model or not as accurate or whatever. But I do think that uh, I, I like the love base of the ethical side of the influence continuum. And for those people who are religious, for example, the Abrahamic traditions all share Abraham, who left his tents open in the desert and gave food and drink to anyone that came by, no matter what religious orientation or who they were, and the great commandment of love God with all your heart, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I'm on that side. The the hate and the, you know, we have the truth and everyone else should be killed who doesn't agree with us, that's definitely on the authoritarian destructive end of the continuum. Yeah, well, I agree. I definitely agree about that. What were some of the four sort of uh, ways of knowing if you've been brainwashed? Thank you for asking. So, it, you know, I've been interviewing people and working with people for 47 years now and throughout the, the decades, and that's how I wrote Combating in 1988, was I was always interested in asking people, like, what were the things that persuaded you to get in? What were the things that helped you to reality test and get out? So and over time, these are the four things that I think have proven themselves. One, get away from the person or the group, or if it's a cell phone with social media apps of truth social or telegram or whatever. just turn it off take a week off like get away if it's a controlling spouse or uh, a boss take a vacation don't answer email like just let your brain have a distance Second, learn the models of, of mind control, like Robert Lifton, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism, has eight criteria. I have several interviews with him. He's still alive. He's in his 90s. Margaret Singer's six, point, uh, six conditions, uh, my bite model of authoritarian control. So you have a frame of reference for what's, what's harmful. Third, seek out critics and former members. Now, if you're in a mind control cult, you automatically hate or dismiss any contrarian, former members, anyone who says negative things. Trump was saying the media is the enemy of the people, that sort of thing. So it, you just take the position, hey, I'm smart, and let me evaluate whether there's any veracity or if there's any evidence that makes sense to hear from why people have exited a group, especially former leaders of a group. Let me look at the, the internal speeches of the Moonies where Moon printed by the Moonies, democracy is satanic, you know, we <laughs> have to take over the world. Um, so listen to, you know, and then with that information of here, here's the bite model of authoritarian control, here's what the former members and the critics have to say about it, then go back in your mind before you met the group and ask yourself, what did I think I was getting into? And uh, if I knew then what I know now, would I have ever said yes and gotten involved? And if the answer is no, uh, time to leave. Now, that's for people like myself. I was recruited at 19 and exited at 22. There's tons of people exiting who are born or raised in cults, so they can't go back in their mind to who they were before. But my experience, and I don't want to get too uh, mystical or spiritual here, but I'd, my experience is people have an authentic self. Don't ask me what that is or how to objectively scientifically prove it but people have innately a notion of what is right and wrong and what feels good what love is and what it isn't and people don't like to be lied to or exploited so even if you you know were raised in a in a cult 
if and especially if it's a religious cult that says we have the truth and you're going to go to hell if you leave the group or you can't talk to people if who leave the group shunning or discommunication or disfellowshipping you can still apply this model learn about the bite model of authoritarian control seek out critics and former members and reflect on your own experiences. Because when I talk to people born and raised in cults, a lot of them had these doubts that would surface and then get suppressed. Someone who's like, wait a minute, I want to go to college and I'm being told I'm a woman and I can't, or I'm being told I have to marry someone that I don't like. Um, Go back in those moments with that knowledge and say, if I knew then what I know now, would I have gone along with it? Would I have stayed another five years or 10 years or 20 years? And if the answer is no, that's the time to realize you can leave now. I bet that people listening probably are more likely to have had an experience with a, in a romantic relationship where they feel that thing of, if I knew I would feel how I feel now, would I have started with this person? And I think many people would say no, but it's then, so anyone who's who's struggling to, I suppose, to understand what it must be like to be in a cult, I imagine that's what it is. It's that feeling of like, but we've set up a life now. All our friends are around this whole thing. I don't want to hurt her or him. I, we're so far in. How do I leave this thing? Uh, and I think most of us have had that experience. It's not, it's not, uh, I, I have, I even had, I had, after I got out of the Moonies, my first wife died tragically oh, and I was heartbroken that. and I met a, a beautiful woman model who, uh, I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I'm, I'm, and I proposed to her after three months, but it took, I, I then started to reality test and go, she's a, pathological liar she told me this and now i find out it's not that so i got out but it's still you know the expert got got fooled because again our hearts are not rational <laughs> yeah i suppose a cult is an analogous then to to a, a romantic relationship well, I, w I would urge you to drop the word cult and talk about oh, yeah. a healthy relationship or an unhealthy relationship. And the healthy, healthiest relationships, because I'm a therapist and I do couples counseling over the decades, are what's called an interdependent relationship where two healthy people are choosing to share their lives, but they're not giving up their sense of self. They're not feeling like they have to suppress their feelings or what they need to do or turn over their decision making to the partner uh people should have re reciprocity you wrote um the cult of trump which i recommend anyone read if you want to know more about that and it's a fascinating phenomenon uh, and i don't think you ever suggest that anyone who votes for him is in in this cult but there, there are certainly cult cultish and i know you said to not use the word cult too much but i'm saying it about 50 times a sentence right now but there are cultish <laughs> cultish elements and aspects and there's of course stuff like you know that i don't want to say the name of this cult but the one that has to do with pizza and finding bad people in a basement uh, that was well, very much yeah, yeah i i understand the some words on youtube are are uh, alert words so i won't use that but i my thesis in, in when I was first asked to do the book for Simon and Schuster was that I knew that the profile of most cult leaders is what Eric Fromm calls a malignant narcissist, which and narcissism is on a continuum, but the most unhealthy narcissists have no empathy. Like everything's about them, transactional, grandiosity, entitlement, all of that. But the malignant is the psychopathological stuff, thinking they're above the law, pathological lying, sadistic, paranoid, inability to trust. So I knew Trump was the, the stereotypical profile of cult leaders. And I wrote in chapter three, I compared him with Jim Jones and Hubbard of Scientology and my former cult leader, Moon. But what I came to learn, Andrew, was that there were authoritarian cults in the cult of Trump that were telling their followers to follow him. And many of these are fall under the title New Apostolic Reformation uh, churches and groups where unlike Christianity, 
you know, regular Christianity. These are groups where the leader says, I'm an apostle or a prophet, and I get direct revelations from God, and I speak in tongues and cast out demons and do faith healings, and and I can protect you from Satan because satanic elements are everywhere wanting to take you over. And it's like a version of the Moonies, and we're talking 40 million Americans were in that, and they were spiritual warriors thinking they were going to fight the libtards and the gay people and the women's right people and the indigenous rights people. Um, so, and, and I talk about fourth generation warfare, which is psychological warfare aimed at causing distrust and chaos attacking experts, science itself, the vaccine for COVID, um, institutions like democratic institutions. So it's, it, and, and we're living in the age of undue influence, I believe, where through the internet, bad actors are able to mess with people's minds. And with the great hack, the, the Cambridge Analytic hack of Facebook, there's unprecedented amount of details about each person collected on the dark web, where with the help of AI, they can know which buttons to push to get us to vote a certain way or to uh, buy a certain product or whatever. And without data protection of our personal data, without uh, a platform regulation and without enforcement against bad actors, including other state actors like Russian intelligence that wants to mess around the, with elections, um, we're in trouble, a lot of trouble. Yeah. It's scary, isn't it? And I suppose I try to play the devil's advocate and be this, the central person all the time. I, I agree with what you say about Trump. Do you see it on the other side? I mean, you talk about the undue influence. There was the the leaks of the Twitter files where it emerged that Twitter had been uh, banning more people who leaned right than left. So there's there's that kind of side as well. And 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 I'd add to that. I don't think it's left and right anymore. Honestly, I really think it's authoritarians versus people who believe in rule of law and civility and honesty and truth and. One of the one of the things that I think got uh, Democrats, uh, or at least the Democratic Party uh, organizers, were critical uh, and didn't want to support the cult of Trump is because I wrote about a cult uh, called the Family. My former cult was called the Family, as was Manson's cult and a billion others. But uh, this particular one created the National Prayer Breakfast in the United States. And uh, Michael Pence was a member of it, recruited by Chuck Colson of Watergate uh, uh, infamy. Um, and the thing about the family, and Jeffrey Charlotte, by the way, if you have access to Netflix, watch the five-part series called The Family. It shows that they were recruiting Democrats and Republicans into this thing. So it's not just the Republicans are bad and the Democrats are good. People were being corrupted for ideological or political goals. And back when it started, it was all anti-communism and we need to do this to stop, you know, the communists. But uh, it's still happening. It's still uh, being enforced. And um we just need to, to grow up and understand and correctly diagnose what's going on and then start really putting, working together to put resources to start uh, reclaiming uh, rule of law and basic civility. And if I may, I'll say one more point. When I, when I came out with the cult of Trump, I was very clear in chapter nine, don't cut off your family and friends who are MAGA, you know, totally supportive of Trump or 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 any any call, uh, destructive group, because then they feel like you're, you're disfellowshipping them <laughs> deeper into the cult. The best thing is to keep a warm relationship. Say, I'm you're intelligent, you're educated. I know you. We have history together. I don't understand how you believe what you believe, but I'm prepared to change my mind. Let's make a deal to share with each other what was persuasive to you to believe what you believe. We'll discuss it, 
and then it'll be my turn to share what I think is persuasive and we'll go back and forth, but we'll, we'll be civil with each other and respectful and kind and open-minded and able to listen to each other. What does one do then about someone like um, Kanye West who comes out with a thing, you know, he wasn't just saying hurtful things about Jewish people. He was, he was saying threatening things uh, about DEFCON, whatever it was. Uh, and like what you just said, I think, by censoring him, it almost sort of proves his point, or at least in his mind it would, we must rule the world because when he speaks out against us, we ban him. What do you think the best thing is to do? I don't like censorship. I feel like I've been censored by the mainstream media, uh, honestly, in the United States. I've been doing a lot more with UK media than I have in the United States, honestly. Um, so I have friends who are former Nazis who um, I've done interviews with them and the best people to talk to others are former members who know the mindset, know the language. Now, you know, they may not you know, want to be street uh, uh, interveners and walk up to during an active demonstration because it's especially hard to get an individual to start reality testing if all their peers are watching and listening. But in all of the stories I've heard from ex-Nazis and neo-Nazis, they talk about kindness by people who they were, you know, taught to hate was huge. So, for example, Arnold Michaelis, who had a, a, a white supremacy band and wrote lyrics and was a big recruiter for them, he described working uh, at a, a, some business and he didn't have any lunch. And his boss, who was Jewish, gave him half of a sandwich. Or he went to McDonald's and there was an African-American server who was smiling and friendly to him. And he was trained to hate both of these people, but they were being nice and kind and respectful to them. And for him and a whole lot of other people, it's when they have children that they start thinking their parental neurons kick in and, and like, what do I want my son or daughter to be in a hate group? And it starts, the, the wires start um, moving in a good direction. But there's definitely hope. And I, I really think that um, with, with celebrity influencers and such, in my opinion, they were probably targeted by bad actors because of this celebrity, because they have a big audience and such. But the, I can tell you, I got out. You know, hashtag, I got out. Uh, I, I, I didn't realize the group I was in was anti-Semitic, but I believe that the Holocaust was justified because the Jews didn't accept Jesus as a member. But I didn't have the ability to think. This is anti-Semitism. <laughs> this, is, this is what led to, you know, killing innocent children and, and people and gay people and uh, so many other people. Um, so anyway, I'm I'm a love guy. Um, I'm I'm always wanting to learn and grow and change my mind if there's a reason to change it. And I think modeling that for for the public uh, is is going to have a positive, beneficial effect. And that's I'm really grateful to be on your show. Oh, well, that's great. And yeah, I think people need to get hold of your work. And one of the things you've done, uh, I, I think it was recently, was, was it, well, tell me about it, the doctoral dissertation. Yeah, so I, uh, I realized about seven, eight years ago, after decades of activism, nothing was changing in a good way. If anything, it was getting worse. And I came to the realization that the law itself was about 100 years out of date with what we know about the mind and neuroscience and social psychology. And a friend of mine suggested that I give a presentation at a forensic think tank at Harvard Medical School. A forensic think tank is basically psychiatrists, psychologists, lawyers uh, who are expert witnesses or people who do research that can be used by judges. 
And I did a presentation and one of the professors there said, you need to get a doctorate and you need to do a quantitative study on your model saying that it's helped people for decades, doesn't cut it in the court of law. If you go to fielding, I'll supervise your research. And I was like, but I'm 63, I'm too old. He said, I'm 77, do you want to change the law or don't you? And, you know, he was persuasive and uh, long story short, um, I took the bite model, I turned it into a Likert scale of never to always. And I had over a thousand people fill it out. And we came up with one factor of authoritarian control, behavior, information, thought, and emotional control. And we link it to other models in the law where people are being put in jail, like Keith Raniere of Nexium or uh, uh, R. Kelly, or more recently, Larry Ray, who has uh, Sarah, Sarah Lawrence cult fame is going to be sentenced shortly. Um, I'm deliberately trying not to use the words that you said you might get. I appreciate uh, it. <laughs> a, a trouble with. Starts with a T and ends with a G. No, just kidding. Um, anyway, um, so, and then I use Alan Shefflin, law professor emeritus's social influence model that, uh, and I met Alan in 78 reading his book, The Mind Manipulators about MK Ultra. He was one of the first researchers. He was a law professor. So he created a model for expert witnesses of analyze the influency and their vulnerabilities, the influencer and their power differential, or if they're a malignant narcissist and how they influence the influencee. And my bite model and influence continuum is a very easy way to describe specific behaviors that the influencer is doing improperly to enslave the influency. So that came out and it's getting very positive reactions. It's spawning a lot of law students and psychology people to do further research, which is the best uh, uh, compliment for anyone who comes up with a, a, a model, a new model to make it valid, uh, as I said in the beginning of this. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing things like speaking at the International Academy of Law and Mental Health that has a Congress every two years and presenting, hey, here's a model that we can use in the law around the world that will fairly be able to explain what undue influence is. Um, so that's really exciting. And then more recently, I've, I've spent two years working on an online course, a nine hour course on foundational, uh, what you need to know foundationally, especially if you're a clinician, a mental health professional, uh, or coach or educator. But I'm hearing from former members who don't want to be mental health professionals, but they just want to heal. And they're taking it and saying how invaluable it is. So I'm very excited because I've been asked for years, how do we scale what you're, what you know, Steve, to help millions of people around the world? So it's putting something online like this, and I'm excited. Yeah, where where can people go to get that? I'll put a link in the description. Freedomofmind.com, and at the top, courses, and it's called the found a course a foundational course for clinicians. Uh, I have a shorter course called a basic course. It's three hours, but I would definitely recommend the newer, uh, more more in depth one. And if you're a former member listening to this and you're in therapy, you should ask your therapist, what training have you had to work with cult members and, and, and people who are victims of undue influence and recommend that they take the course so that they'll know what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if anyone who wants to learn more, do go to Steve, uh, Stephen or Dr. Hassan's uh, website, Thanks. Freedom of Minds, uh, and get taking those tests and things. Um, Dr. Hassan. Thank you for being on the edge. It's my pleasure. Can I can I take one more minute to make one more comment? Or are we please uh, do. 
Well, so another project that I've spent years on uh, with uh, the First Nations Caring Society of Canada was applying my model to colonialism and what was done to Indigenous people there and the residential schools where children were kidnapped and their 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 clothing taken from them and and made to be good little Christians or killed and uh the model fits uh powerfully i might add and more recently in the news we see prince harry's uh, uh new book out spare i've listened to some of his interviews and i'm three hours into his listening to him read his own book it's 15 hours so i got 12 more hours but it strikes me in listening to this very candid portrayal how much there's an inauthentic self like a Mooney self, an inauthentic self that has to be the Royal and your own feelings, your own needs, your own desires have to be suppressed. And, um, and at one point he's talking about going with his father, uh, the king now, uh, to South Africa and how there were a group of Brits who were given a great uh, valorous award for killing Zulus uh, who were defending their land. And he just says, you know, what, what we did was wrong. It was imperialistic. It was colonialistic. You know, what the hell? Um so I, I look forward to learning more, but I, it gave me a window into thinking about, you know, what's it like to grow up in a family where your predecessors, your great-grandparents thought they were chosen by God <laughs> to rule the world, to send people out and take over countries and destroy indigenous cultures and make them speak English, etc. I mean, I'm obviously speak English and come from a colony uh, from from britain but just it just is helping me again take another view of of psycho history and what are we doing now and the whole the way the royal family reacted to him and megan markle i did write a blog at the time um but uh it's just fascinating so i just thought i, I would add that uh, very relevant piece Thank you, Stephen Hassan, the big name in combating cult mind control, which also happens to be the name of his book. Well, it's not called The Big Name Of, but it's called Combating Cult Mind Control. Freedom of Mind is another one, and his more recent book is The Cult of Trump. So go have a look at all those things. Hope you enjoyed this. Big episodes coming out. There's Collier Landry talking about how his father killed his mum in front of him. There's Paul Bloom to talk about um, his new book, Psych. He's a, a, a famed professor, Paul Bloom, so that's very exciting to get him back on the show. We've got Teddy Rose talking about the Moonies. We've got Michael Rechtenwald uh, about atheism and secularism. He's a cancelled professor. That one is behind a paywall. It's coming out this Saturday, so you can sign up to that on patreon.com slash Gold. And until then, see you next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.